Welcome to the Entre Pastors Podcast. This show helps pastors think, act, and thrive as prosperous entrepreneurs. And now, here are your hosts, Les Hughes and John Sanders. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Entre Pastors Podcast. My name is John Sanders, and this week, my co-host, Les Hughes, is not in the studio with me. Our calendars just did not sync up this week, and so you, you got me. I'm holding down the fort. So guys, welcome. It's great having you for another episode. This is actually episode number 32, and it's part two of an episode that we had last week where we interviewed one of the two authors of the book called Part-Time Pastoring. Last week, we talked with Andy Littleton. This week, you're going to hear a conversation that I had with the other co-author of that book by the name of Sean Banesh, and he and I have a great conversation. So stick around. We'll jump into that here real quick. But before we do, I wanted to just make you guys aware of something that is still available for a limited time. So a little bit of a backstory at the Entree Pastors podcast. We have a couple different products and, and ways that we serve our community. One is just this very podcast you're listening to. It's a free show that goes out and anyone can listen to it. Another one is what we call our Entree Pastors membership community. And inside of this membership, we've got three different courses that are being built out. We've got them almost finished now. Three different pathways, if you will, that a pastor can take to begin to develop an additional stream of income or maybe multiple streams of income. One is an information-based pathway where we talk about how to take your message or you know your intellectual property and how to build a business around it through monetizing, whether it's a podcast, a blog, a book, coaching, speaking, that sort of a thing. That's one pathway, so the information-based pathway. Then the second course we have developed is on e-commerce. We've got an entire course in there on how to really thrive by selling things on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, that kind of stuff. We've got a guy by the name of Ryan Rieger that has put a course of his inside of our membership, and he has helped hundreds of people do exactly that. Then the third course that is available inside of our community is on how to build a service-based business, whether you know you are more of a hands-on person that wants to have a business where you're providing a service like landscaping, lawn mowing, pressure washing, tree trimming, you know, painting, cleaning, that sort of a thing. And we've got a course on how to build out a business like that. Uh, in the near future, Lord willing, we're looking at maybe adding another course on real estate, how to get into real estate. We've got a lot of pastors in our tribe that are uh, doing some great things in the world of real estate. That's certainly an interest of mine as well. And so we've got these courses. We've got a private Facebook group for our membership community. We've got a monthly Q&A, a live Q&A call that you can jump on and have access to myself and Les and others in the group. So there's some real advantages to this community and to the content that we put inside there. Normally, we charge $49 a month for that, but we have a special offer right now, just a trial going for $1 a month for your first month. You can just jump in and see what all is on the inside. Oh, by the way, one other thing that our members have access to is what we call our Backstage Pass. It's a part of this podcast Every episode, we have kind of a backstage, some premium content where we take our guests backstage and, and continue the conversation. So we've really uncovered some great things 
in you know previous podcast episodes where our guests have shared some interesting insights and you know continued the conversation and that you have access to that as well as part of our membership community. So anyway, we're running a limited time $1 for your first month trial offer. It lets you get in, experience what is on the inside of the community and just see if it's something that you want to uh, stick around and be a part of. So if you're interested in that, go to our website, entrepastors.com and uh, jump in there. There's If you go to entrepastors.com slash community, I think is the direct link that will take you to the uh, place to sign up for our membership community. So anyway, we'd love to have you jump in and be a part of that. Check it out and uh, join the community there. So, all right, guys. Well, without any further ado, let me get to this second part of uh, this focus we're having with the authors of the book, Part-Time Pastoring. So Sean Banesh, man, this guy, I actually read a book of his several years ago. He wrote a book called Intrepid. And I remember even then picking up on the themes of you know, entrepreneurialism and how the church and can really leverage that, this idea of building, you know, enterprises that are out in the marketplace as part of church planting efforts. Like, I just remember it resonating with me. And so it's kind of funny all these years later to to come back to that and be introduced to the author and to get to have a conversation with him. So uh, a while back, I had the privilege to sit down and talk with Sean Banesh, and now you get to listen in on that conversation. So here we go. Check this out. Well, Sean, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the Entree Pastors podcast, my friend. Good to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Well, hey, let's get started real quick by just a, a general introduction and overview to your life. Tell me a little bit about your journey into pastoral ministry, but you, you're really doing some unique things, so that we'll unpack kind of the, the marketplace side of it as well, but yeah. just a little bit of an introduction to your life, if you don't mind. Uh, well, how far back do we want to go? It so, all started I mean, on, and then you fill in the blank yeah, from there. In, in, in second grade, this is what <laughs> happened. So, I mean, I would say it was it was a very typical, I, I guess in my mind, a typical trajectory. I became a Christian right when I was going into college. Through that experience, I transferred schools, end up majoring in ministry because um, I felt the sense of like, all right, God wants me to do something to to honor him, to serve him. And that was the only framework that I had like, OK, and people like, dude, you need to go to college and pursue this. So I'm like, I'm all right, let's do it. And no regrets. So after college, we moved out west to go to seminary and I went on staff at a church. So I did the whole local church ministry on staff at a couple churches over then the next number of years out of college. And then, um, then I made the transition to church planning. And so that was 20 years ago, we moved to Tucson, Arizona to plant a church. And for me, that was my first, that was my first exposure experience really going into, I guess, for lack of better terms, the marketplace. Cause before I was like a full-time youth pastor. I was on staff at a church. That was my world. That was my bubble that I lived in. And my go-to line is I was such a good fundraiser that I had to get a part-time job. And <laughs> so at that point I had an undergrad in biblical studies and pastoral ministries. I was working on a master's in church planning, church growth. And I was like, I have no idea what I can do. What am I skilled at? Tra- I am no work experience outside of like church stuff. And so I mean, we can talk more about it later, but I landed a gig as a hiking and mountain biking guide. And that for me, that was that huge pivot point in my life that opened my eyes up to, and again, I don't think I even heard of the term at the time, 
bivocational ministry, marketplace ministry. But all I knew was, oh, I love it. And I was now surrounded by people who had no interest in Jesus, church, the church that I was planning. Yeah. Well, you've had a very interesting life beyond the church. And I say that in a good way. Like I admire your story, <laughs> admire a lot of what you're doing, and we'll, we'll unpack more of that. But one of the reasons, well, uh, uh, where I found you years ago, I read your book, Intrepid, which I highly encourage mm-hmm. our, our audience to go check out. But And I remember just when I was reading it, there was just like a theme of entrepreneurialism that connected mm-hmm. with me. I've been an entrepreneur mm-hmm. at heart for years. I didn't always know I was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But then more recently, I came across your book, uh, Part-Time Pastoring, that you wrote with Andy mm-hmm. Littleton, and we've had him as a guest on the show but let's let me just introduce this book real quick, and then that okay. this can kind of be the framework for more of our conversation. So the title, part time pastoring, like give us just an overview of what's the main message of the book because it's really so much in line with what we talk about at Entree yeah. Pastors. Yeah, and, and even the title is a bit kind of sneaky because for some it's kind of like that poke in the rib, like because yep. some of the pushback we got is like, what do you mean there is no such thing as full as part time? We do this full time, and so. Th- that was kind of intentional, not like to, to poke the bear, but so really the whole point of the book is kind of to broaden our thinking. Like, how do we think about, again, these topics of um, local church ministry, entrepreneurialism, um, and even marketplace ministry, because some kind of live that out through their own startups and others find the best course of action is really through getting a job outside of the church. And it's just kind of more kind of framing it holistically rather than trying to compartmentalize all these facets of our lives. Yeah. Well, one of the things that you have said in the book, essentially that I picked up on is you wouldn't go back. Like if you had the option to go Mm. back to quote full-time pastoring, where you have one stream of income from being professionally employed with a church, Mm -hmm. you would not based on how rich your life is now, not just financially, but like just the opportunities and where the ministry that's happening. But take me back to that place where you're a church planter, things aren't going great on the fundraising side. And you're like, man, I, I need to go get a J-O-B or find some other income. Like, yeah. was there an internal struggle struggle in your story as you thought about, man, I got to be a part-time pastor now. I guess I'm not good enough to make it in the big league. So I got to mm. go get a job. Like, did you, was that a struggle for you? Mm. I mean, I would say initially it was because you know, when I became a Christian and it was, I was like 18, 19 years old and it was like, Oh, wow. Look at all that God has done in my life. Like, and I was like, cause I start off college, like I was an art major and, and it was like out of gratitude, like, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. And people heard that in my church and like, I think God's calling you to ministry. I'm like, I, okay, I don't know. Sure. And I'm like, I'm, I'm all in, let's do it. Let's burn the bridges and go. And so, so I kind of went in full throttle, not thinking through all the nuances of like calling and vocation. And also I was coming at it from a very, you know, I think of it as a very Americanized worldview of how we frame ministry, right? Because mm-hmm. there's that assumption that, oh, to go into ministry, if God is calling you, then that almost presupposes like it's it's going to be full time. Mm-hmm. And we even have these little catchy sayings. I remember early on church planning, it goes some like, you know, God's will done God's way will not lack God's resources. And so the point is like, if, if you're, if you're underfunded, like you're doing something wrong kind of yeah. thing. And so it was always that, like, you need to be full time. And so for me, when I stepped into working as a hiking and mountain biking guide, 
it was just like kind of like Paul, like all these scales started falling from my eyes because I was like, oh, I'm around people who have no interest in church. And even in church planning, kind of the reality is most of your life you're around Christians, right? You're trying to to build a core group of believers and then launch and all that stuff. And now like, like kind of on parallel tracks, like I felt like there's church planning me that I was basically like a pastor chaplain trying to start a worship service. And then there was like bivocational me that I was like, I'm, I'm like a tent making missionary. This is great. I'm around people that, again, no interest in God or church or anything like that. And that was like, oh, this is, this is actually where real ministry is happening. Mm-hmm. Real deep heartfelt conversations and people wrestling with God. And so that was like, that was one of the things that fell kind of the scales that fell from my eyes. And I would say then the second point would be um, we, when we re-engaged to go into church planning a second time after we planted, I went on staff with my denomination, you know, worked in church planning for a number of years doing that. And then I forgot how hard church planning is. So we went back into it. And this time it was like an urban uh, immigrant and refugee neighborhood. And that was that other piece that began clicking for me to go, oh, if I'm to do this long-term among this group of people, I definitely need outside in, outside income to sustain me. And part of that too, I was just wrapping up the research and my dissertation where I was kind of really digging into this very same topic. Like, why do we plant churches where we do? And why do we continue to n- neglect and overlook low-income communities, et cetera? And so- mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that other piece ago. Like, I need just to survive. I need some kind of outside income stream just to be self-sustaining. These aren't your words. These are mine. So don't let me put words in your mouth. But <laughs> am I hearing you say, like, sometimes what fuels church planting or decides where a church gets planted is the ability of the people we're building or reaching with their ability to fund it. So therefore, we overlook low-income uh, maybe totally. urban areas, rural yep. areas, that sort of a thing, because yep. we go, well, they can't afford a church, so let's go where they can afford one. Is that a fair summary I mean, of what you're saying? Yeah, I would 100%. So I would like even in the research I did, so I looked at seven cities, mostly in the West, plotted out on the map, looked at all these different denominations and networks where churches are being planted, urban suburban, et cetera. And then I followed that up with interviews. And basically I was trying to figure out, all right, church planner, why did you plant where you did? And obviously the number one response is always going to be like God's call, which is like, all right, I'm I'm not, to me, I always think of it like that's the black box, you know, the whole airplane crashes. The only thing that survives is like that black box. So like, I'm not touching that. That's untouchable. But interestingly, when you set that response aside, every other answer had to do with like, Man, I really like the neighborhood. I like this part of the city. Um, my kids like it. My wife likes it. Like it's a very, it was basically, it was livable and desirable, mm. which is why for decades, we always were planting in the suburbs. And now thanks to gentrification, that's why we're now back in the city planting. And it's the same theme. We continue to go to places in the city that we just really dig. Mm. And I'm not saying like there's dubious conspiracy theory. It just simply means that we just continue to overlook low-income communities, yeah, both urban, suburban, and even rural. And so part of my passion for bivocational is like, if we are going to plan these kind of communities, we need a whole different kind of funding model to sustain us long-term. 
Well, as far as funding goes, I'll I'll share this and let you kind of speak to it. Like I see where the the trajectory in the church culture is is happening. Like even in parts of the Bible Belt that maybe mm-hmm. historically have funded the work of the church and, and kingdom work more reliably, like where things mm-hmm. are going, that's that's going away. Like I think we're seeing a day mm-hmm. coming where pastors by necessity, even the ones that thought they were going to just do this one thing full time for the rest of their life are going to start bumping into man, this wasn't paying very good to begin with, and now it's really not paying very well. Like, What what do you see when you look out and kind of see what the trends that are happening in our culture like that? Oh, yeah, I would say that's across the board. And while it's not uniform, in some places that's happening at a faster clip than others, we know that's the trajectory as a whole. And to me, I, I don't look at it as doom and gloom. I look at it like, wow, that's that's amazing news. That means we're going to be... Um, we're going to be in so many places that we hadn't been previously as pastors, church planners, just because we didn't have access. And the reason why we didn't have access is because we were doing ministry full-time. And I know most of my, I mean, no one wants to admit if you're in ministry full-time, more than likely you're, you're just living in the bubble. And that's, that's just, it's, it's just, that's an unintended consequence. We don't go into a meaning that, but it's just, we're just so caught up in ministry, that we're just dealing with believers and our lives are not immersed in the marketplace among those far from Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went through that same experience as a church planter, you know, eight, nine years into the journey, I recognized almost all of my week is spent with Christians, maybe minus our mm-hmm. secretary. I'm not sure about her just yet, but you know, I, she hated that <laughs> joke every time I told it, but seriously, I started to realize I got to get around, you know, people again, like mm-hmm. normal people that mm-hmm. don't, don't know Christ. Mm-hmm. And for me, Part of that was a return to what I did before pastoral ministry, and that was firefighting. So even to this day, mm. I'm still a full-time uh, career firefighter. And mm. man, just getting back out into the station and being with guys that don't think like me, talk like me, vote mm. like me, like so refreshing as a pastor mm. to kind of get out of that bubble and get back into the real mm. world, which is one of the reasons I love and think it's a good thing that pastors are out in the marketplace, you know? and Yeah. Something you mentioned in the book that I wanted to ask you about, it's a, you kind of gave a metaphor. I'm, I'm going to put this in my own words, but like the traditional church planting model where a guy, you know, family, a group comes in, whatever, like if the funding runs out, they kind of just leave. Mm. Like it, it's amazing. God usually mm-hmm. calls them to a different place about the time the funding's running <laughs> yeah. out. They feel God calling yeah. them elsewhere. But you yeah. kind of used a metaphor like a farmer being connected Mm -hmm. to the land, you know, like they, Mm -hmm. and if you see it that way, like that farmer's got to figure something out, even if the funding isn't there through the farm, I got to figure out how to make that work. That makes sense to me. I'm in a rural agricultural Mm -hmm. area. So say more about that in context of church planting and the value of going in with that idea of I'm here, I'm going to make it work somehow, some way. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, and again, I didn't, I think a lot of these things I just didn't know until I started just like observing. So now 20 years involved in like the church planning world and in three different cities throughout the West, you know, it's just looking back to see like, Oh, I remember that guy. He came in with a million dollars in funding. Well, he's gone. Oh, same with that. Same with that guy. And it was like one by one, like even guys who had huge core groups that moved with them millions of dollars are like, same thing. As soon as the money runs out, it's just like they're gone. And I think some, part of it, we get accustomed to a lifestyle, 
right? And income, when that goes out, it's like, I think I'd rather go back somewhere and get a full-time gig than slug it out and be bivocational. And, and the analogy that you thought of or that you brought up, it was just like, yeah, because I'm I'm from rural Iowa. And you know, I think about I think about my my wife. She grew up on the farm. That farm's been in her family for generations. And you know, the whole it's a small farm. It's not a big commercial farm. But over the years and over the generations, the the, the consistency is that farm has been in the family. And while unlike a generation or two ago, where a farm could sustain you and all that you need is from it, now like her parents have had to work full time outside of the farm, but. It's not like, hey, the farm's not making enough. Like we're out of here. We're going to move to wherever. It was like they were, they were rooted to that place, which meant they're going to do whatever it takes to stay there. And I, I feel like we're missing that in church planning. It's like, you know, to me, that's why I always say, like, the number one reason why church planners leave is, you know, I think sometimes we couch things in spiritual terms, but I just go as simple as, it's you know, money runs out, they're gone. Because most of them, if your money runs out and you got 30 people and you've been at it for seven years, you know, it's not going to like pop. And so that means you're facing the reality of going like, okay, I got to work here and this may never take off. This may never pay me full time to do it. And many just go, I didn't go to seminary for that. Yeah. 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 That's so good. That makes a lot of sense to me. And again, just as the value in my mind of of a, a different mindset, just thinking about mm-hmm. this, looking at it differently. So going in a little different direction, another thing that stood out to me that really resonated with me, you talked about at times, you know, you have so many different interests beyond just pastoring. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I don't know if you use the word guilty, but that's what I read into it. That maybe at times <laughs> you're like, man, is that even right for me as a pastor to yeah. have all these interests? So I want to ask you to speak to that, um, you know, how okay. you've come to like, embrace that like hey it's a good thing yeah. that i have all these interests and as you do maybe tell a little bit more of your story about these different things i mean I heard you say yeah. you're you know you were a, a hiking and mountain biking guide which sounds awesome mm-hmm. but you've got a whole bunch mm-hmm. of other things so share a little bit of that and, and kind of touch on that theme if you would yeah i mean i think there there was that guilt for and i don't know guilt maybe more tension that just wrestled with for a lot of years. And I th- I don't think it was until I started really thinking through like, all right, God, how did you wire and how did you make me? And then I started thinking like kind of wrestling with, I think like, and it, it was like a, a wrestling with calling and vocation. And, and it was a realization that before I came to faith in Christ, like I was a creative person. Like I started college as an art major. Like I just, that's how I think I like creating. I like drawing, you know what I mean? That was like, mm-hmm. I was just always in creative mode. And then when I became a Christian, went into ministry, it was almost like, not that like, again, no conspiracy theories, but I there just wasn't a place for that. It was like, okay, you're going to be a pastor. Let's learn Greek, Greek and Hebrew and a lot of theology and read a bunch of boring theologians and no big words like superlapsarianism and all that Man, stuff. I just fell asleep right there. You. Wake me back up. I know. Up. <laughs> I know. So, but it was like, it was almost like there's that whole part of me that if we argue that God has wired us and gifted us that I had just put aside. And it wasn't until I started church planning, it just began bubbling up and, you know, church planning in and of itself is a very creative thing. And that was that early part wrestling with that tension. Wait, I thought I was called to do ministry and yet I'm working. And then I think for me, once I was able to get over that, then I was like, Oh, how do I, how do I lean? 
I'm just going to lean into who God has wired and gifted me and see where that goes. And, and so like, I never, I don't even self identify like as an entrepreneur because, you know, that comes with a lot of like baggage, whatever, not bad baggage, but it's like, I like to create, I like to start things. And that was like my first thing when, you know, I was probably eight years ago, I just kind of on a whim, just created a publishing company. And that was like my first aha moment. And then a few years later, sold that, started a coffee roasting company. And then that was just like, that began catalyzing more and more different ideas to go, oh, this is kind of fun. And I really like this. And it's great. Yeah. So like if you had to put your title on a business card and someone says, Hey, Sean, what do you do? Like, what, how do you answer that question? I don't even, it depends on who I'm talking to. <laughs> right. Cause there's like, cause I, I teach full-time um, as a professor, um, but I'm not like a full-time administrative faculty. So I just go in, I teach, um, I do photography, I do startup coaching for ministry, helping church planners, pastors, missionaries, start social enterprises, I do startup coaching on another thing, another business that I started. Um, yeah, I do photography, website, social media management. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot to put on a business card. But see, much, that, that yeah. resonates with me. And I'm not me. saying that's all good, but... <laughs> well, I, but that resonates with me because for a long time, I've had people challenge me like, man, you have so many irons in the fire. How do you get it all done? And, you know, and I've struggled with that. Like, am I, is there something wrong with me? Am I broken for, I'm, and I'm not saying every pastor yeah. should have 12 different irons in the fire. It's a, not everyone yeah. has that capacity. And, but, but I like that you've embraced that. I, I love that you've like leaned mm. into that. And something mm. too, that you said in the book is that there have been so many opportunities that have come your way or doors mm. of opportunity that have opened up that probably would not have if you were just in this very narrow role of full-time pastor. Yeah. Like, what do you mean yep, by that? Like, totally. what, what kind of opportunity? Give me an example of some of those opportunities. Um, now I have to remember what I was saying in the book. I mean, I mean, I guess there's, there's, there's two parts of opportunities, right? So there's, there's opportunities when it comes to building relationships with those who don't identify as Christians. And there's opportunities as far as like, like business opportunities, you know what I mean? So, I mean, those opportunities, both, both opportunities come up regularly. I could be in a class like last week um, without even thinking about it. I, I realized like, Oh, I actually just shared part of like, God's work in my life. And I, you know what I mean? I wasn't like setting out to do, you know what I mean? It just so much of ministry now is more of like an outflow rather than this is some great strategy or something that I have to do or force or, or put on like gospel ministry happens all the time outside yeah. of paid ministry. And then again, the opportunities. Um, yeah. People just hit me up. Hey, could you, cause they know that I do this, this, and this like, Saturday, I'm going to go do photography for a mountain bike race. Yeah. I'm happy as can be. Yeah. I get to hang out with mountain bikers. I get to eat probably tacos and take photos and have a day of it. And get paid for it probably, right? You're and not volunteering. Yeah. yeah. I love all of yeah. that. One of the things I'm thinking of as I hear you share that, I mean, it's almost like what a missionary, the way they identify mm. is they go into yeah. a, a culture uh, that's not yep. their own and, and realize I'm here to everything I do. I'm on mission my whole life. I, I don't clock yep. in to do this. And I know pastors here would not would say the same thing, but still we compartmentalize mm. so much of our identity and 
ministry in that that job yeah. uh, being called a pastor instead yep. of like man everything i do it's ministry and so yeah i love that one thing you wrote that is also inspiring to me and it's it really resonates with a lot of what we talk about through this platform you said one of your personal goals is to have 10 at least 10 streams of income coming into your <laughs> life like tell me more about yeah. that and don't be shy or yeah. embarrassed about it like where did that come from no, well, I'm going to pause on that because I want to address something that you said okay. before. And that is how I frame doing what we're doing here as far as like what missionaries do. So it's normative for us to think about going overseas, starting a business, creating this missionary platform. And when we send a missionary overseas to do that, we're like, yeah, that's what a good missionary does. Yep. And so many church planners that I've been coaching here they get so much grief from their sending organization, their sending churches, because they're like, I had one church planner told me literally, he's like, they, he almost got his funding cut because his organization said to him, like, if you spent 15 hours a week sermon prepping, like, we get that. But you starting a business, mm. we don't get that. And I think when we think we're going to cut your funding. And I tell them, I'm like, dude, you know, if you were in Dublin, Ireland, yep. and you're doing the same thing, people will be like, you are a great missionary. So yeah. I think there's that we are, we are, we bind ourselves to different rules. It's like, we have a set of, we say ministry, well, there's a set of rules here, but then it's almost like, as soon as we go overseas, those rules change. And all I'm trying to say is like, well, what if we did stuff here like we did over there. That's so good. I used to yeah. say that a lot with rural pastors. You know, if we, so many, like I, myself included, I drove a bus for over 11 years before I got mm -hmm. on the fire department. Then I went to more just like part-time filling in where they needed me. But so for more than mm -hmm. 11 years, but, and so many pastors see that and feel like failure, like, oh man, I just mm -hmm. don't have the chops to to do it full time. And yet if, mm -hmm. if our missionary wrote back and said, hey, I have this amazing opportunity to spend, you know, three hours a day with kids in my community and their families, and they're paying mm -hmm. me for it, we would celebrate it and be like, man, praise God <laughs> yeah. for that. But here in America, we go, oh, yeah. that's too bad. You're, you know, yeah. I, we'll pray for you that you can do it more professionally and, and succeed better. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me yeah, about these okay, 10 so, streams so, of income. I, I want to hear about it. So what was your question again? Well, like, just I want to hear you talk about that because I want more pastors to say out loud what you wrote in the book. I don't just want one stream <laughs> of income. I want 10. Yeah. You know, yeah. Why, why Why not five? Why not 20? I mean, I just, that was arbitrary, but I was actually talking with a friend today and, or yesterday, I think, and I was like, I think I do have seven to 10 right now. And again, not all things are equal and sure. they're not all, yeah, not all are equal. Right. So like the photography thing, like I may do an event once in a while, but that's an income stream. Mm -hmm. I have my adjunct professor gig, which I do full-time during the school year. I'll teach summer classes. So that's the stream. Um, and then I do startup coaching through a ministry, startup coaching through a startup business that I have. You know, I write books, there's income from that. Um, so it's, it's easy and, and it helps. Right. So it's just, it's a way, and I guess for me, what I thought is, again, so much of things that happen are oftentimes born out of our own failures and our own pain. And I remember when we had moved to plant a church and 18 months in, our denomination said, like, you're not moving fast enough. We're, we're cutting your funds. And it was like, 
it was just boom, all of a sudden wow. we're done. And then it, like we had to move kind of stuff. And I just remember at that point thinking like, uh, how do I, how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? Yep. And in my mind, it was like, I'm not putting all my financial eggs in that one basket. I want to kind of make myself fire fireproof. Right. Yep. So if I do something happens, I'm like, I'm good. I'm not, I don't have to go anywhere. So that's just, that's one bucket or one stream. And um, yeah, so yeah. that was, that was it. And I was like, I want to, and that was kind of like when we landed in Portland now, 11 years ago, it was like, I'm staying here. Like we're not moving like, and I'll do whatever it takes to make sure kind of like that farmer thing. Like I'm staying Yeah. period. Cause we feel like this is what God has for us. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to celebrate that and kind of call that out, I, can you imagine maybe you've been removed? Maybe this is so normal now in your <laughs> life. Cause you just think this way, which is awesome. But, it, but, you know, you came from rural Iowa. I'm in rural South Dakota, so not too far from where mm. you grew up probably. <laughs> Can you imagine the average pastor in the rural Midwest or really anywhere, mm. but small yeah. church pastor? Can you imagine them going into their church and saying, hey, I got a prayer request. I'm really believing and asking God for 10 streams of revenue into my life this, this year. Like, how do you think that goes over if most pastors say that out loud, especially to the church that they're leading? I mean, if... I mean, I think back to the church that I became a Christian at. It was a church of thirty people in a town of seventy. And they've never had, and they're they. You can't afford a, a full time pastor. You know what I mean. So most people they've had over the hundred plus years of the church were were bivocational already. So I think if you and I think about the farmer, like yeah, you're gonna like a farmer has so many income streams. Like they're selling crops, they're selling cattle, they're selling eggs. Uh, my family, they, they, they're trappers. So they sell like, you know, hides, you know what I mean? So even right. a farmer has all these income streams. So I think a lot of people, when you hear that, especially in an agrarian society, it's almost like, oh yeah, I do too. Right. I got this, I got that. Sometimes I'm people hire me to help with harvest or whatever, which would be an income stream. So yeah, maybe well, it wouldn't be that far off. Well, <laughs> and it, maybe depending on the church. Well, you got me when you, when you made it bivocate, you know, like that with that. Sure. I agree. But, but where I'm going <laughs> is more of that church. That's just enough to pay their pastor okay. a full-time salary. And they, you belong oh, yeah. to us, you know, that. like, like yeah, uh, yeah. you don't, cause that's what I deal with. in a lot of the coaching that I do with pastors is pastors that are barely getting paid a livable salary. Mm. And then being told, Hey, we don't want you doing anything else outside of this. Like, mm. you know, and I'm like, to, yeah. to imagine a pastor going in and saying, Hey, I want, I'm believing God for 10 streams of income. I personally, yeah. I celebrate, I want more of that. I want for all yeah. of the reasons you mentioned and more, yeah. I want pastors to be able to experience that. Yeah. And that's where I just, I want, I want to congratulate you and celebrate the fact <laughs> that you put it in writing, put it out there. I want to hold you up as an example. So I'm yeah, thrilled for that, man. So I tell well, you, and I, and one last thing before that, I, I am encouraged because I have a number of friends who are at a church that size, but they've talked to their congregation to go, how about you pay me less? I'm going to work here. And most of them, they're starting their own things. And the beauty of that is the church is freed up for budget to hire other staff yeah. to give more away. And so like, it actually becomes a beautiful thing because then the church is released to do more with their funding rather exactly. than, cause again, we know most funding goes towards staff and buildings. Right. And generally there's not nearly 
as much of a ceiling in the entrepreneurial marketplace space as there is in the church world. Even even in the church world, when the budget's doing well, there's just a ceiling that we're not going to pay our mm. pastor more. And I'm not even saying that's a bad thing necessarily, but it's just where I love freeing these pastors up to be out in the marketplace for the ministry that happens, but mm. also financially there's a lot there's a lot more upward mobility and potential for them yeah. than when their one income is coming from the church. So um yeah. so yeah, well I tell you what, man, before we move into the backstage portion, just one last question. Uh if if anyone listening to this wanted to learn more about you, follow your journey, connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect? Um, probably, I mean, depending on which hat, right? <laughs> so I'm wearing. So on the ministry front, it's through intrepidmissions.com. Okay. So most everything there is related to what we've been talking about. I help church planners, pastors, missionaries start businesses, nonprofits, or I call them social enterprises or brands. So most of my ministry latest stuff on the public front is through that. Okay, cool. Well, we'll put that in the Show notes. Maybe I lied. One more quick question before we go into the backstage. So it, this will just be a softball one. You can knock out of the park wherever you want. But in our community, our tribe, we've got some pastors on one end of the spectrum that are serial entrepreneurs. They've been doing it for a mm-hmm. long time, largely flying under the radar because we don't really celebrate those stories too loudly mm-hmm. in the church world. But they're they're thriving in ministry, in church, in mm-hmm. in marketplace. And but we've got a lot more that are kind of on this other end, mm. just getting started, or they're on the verge of getting started. They're mm. starting to hear about the potential of maybe I could do more than just work yeah. for one employer being this church. You know, like what would you say to that group that's kind of at the just getting started or even looking at getting started? Mm. Like if you could encourage them within taking any direction you yeah. want, what would you say to them? Well, I would say, why not? Right. And and I and this is one of the things I love doing when I'm working with leaders is it's because I think sometimes we we have we have a mythology of words like we say entrepreneur, we conjure up this thing, we say startup, we conjure up this thing. Whereas one in ten Americans are starting businesses, right? And a high proportion of immigrants are the ones that are starting businesses. So I think in some ways we need to normalize it. And then on the other, I'm like, all right, so you're already in ministry. So why not start something while you're doing it? Because again, that's another misnomer. Sometimes people think like in order to start, I just got to like quit what I'm doing and go full throttle into it. Whereas like, well, you know, it's probably going to take a good couple of years to get things off the ground to start generating income. So why not start it while you're doing what you're doing? Let it have space to breathe, take time. You're not feeling that pressure. And then you can just naturally figure things out, tweak it and then grow it. And then once it starts growing, then you can begin making decisions like, okay, I'm going to potentially step down, not step down, but reduce my time at the church, maybe one day a week to do more to this. And then adjust compensation, but just, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, and I say this all the time, like let's, um, and I, it's parallel with church planning is that there's so many low cost, no cost startup ideas out there. Like it doesn't, I mean, not all startups are equal, but there's a lot that you can do that literally doesn't cost any money. Right. Right. Good. Well, I I love that. Cause what I'm hearing you say is basically you're given some permission with that question of why not, you know, what's, what's holding you back, give them that permission to take that step. 
So good stuff. Well, hey, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to set up our, our backstage portion, then we're going to sign off this and leave the bright lights of the stage to go backstage, all right? So in your book, you, you made a statement that kind of made me chuckle, but I also like nodded in total agreement that basically so many full-time church planters, and I would just throw pastors in general into this, mm. you say... You didn't use the word waste, but they they spend a lot of a bulk of their time, a, a good chunk of their time, doing stupid things. Now we're going to let that tension build for a minute, um, and let people start to get defensive. But I'll frame it with this: it's a it's a time management question because a lot of times mm. one of the uh, objections we hear from already overwhelmed, mm. busy pastors is, "Man, how could I go do something in the marketplace? I can't yeah. hardly keep up here, being a pastor and a husband, father, whatever." So yeah. you say that there's a good chunk of time being spent on stupid things. So we're going to wrap it up right yeah. here, and I'll let you respond <laughs> to that backstage. How does that sound? That'd be great. Awesome. Sean, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you, man. Uh, all the best to you, and we'll join you backstage here shortly. Well, there you go. Good stuff from Sean Banesh. For those of you that are part of our premium subscribers for our backstage pass, feel free to stick around, and Sean's going to join us backstage and go more in-depth into that conversation about what he means when he talks about so many church planters and pastors spend a good chunk of their time doing stupid things. Hopefully you're curious about that and want to hear more. So uh, we'll be to the backstage portion here in just a minute. For those of you that are part of our backstage pass subscription or our membership community. And again, by way of reminder, if you're interested in jumping into either one of those offers, just go to entrepastors.com slash community and you'll see the three different offers there to be a part of our backstage pass or the membership. Or if you jump into the mastermind, you get all of that. You get the backstage pass, the membership, and a weekly a powerful time of conversation with other entree pastors that are building successful businesses as well as serving the church in the, the capacity that God has called them to lead. So whichever one of those areas you fit into, man, we'd love to serve you at that level and bring you into our community and just uh, help you as we walk beside you and support you on your entree pastor journey. So Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and listen again this week. We are grateful for having you as listeners. Thank you so much. And uh, if you would be so kind, if you find this conversation and content valuable, I would love to have you go leave a rating and review of our podcast with iTunes or whatever platform you consume your podcast through. That just helps us get it out in front of more people. The more ratings and reviews that are there, it kind of shows people that this is a podcast that others are listening to and tuning into. So feel free to do your part. We'd be grateful for that. and Or you can share it with others directly. Just send the link right to them. If you know someone that would benefit from this community and the content that's provided here, man, we'd be grateful for that. So thank you so much, guys. God bless each and every one of you. Look forward to talking to you again next week. We'll talk soon. We'll talk soon.